we have, have let's see, rating on Kyle and excuse me, rating on Kyle and I believe Andrew. Yeah, we need Andrew and Kyle in here. Anthony as well. I know Anthony is wrapping up a space, so he'll be here shortly. Kyle, I think Kyle might have fallen asleep. I don't know. I know it's late over there in Thailand, so we can we can wait. That's crazy. I was just on a phone call with our Thailand partners for our Thailand festival. Right on, man. And I honestly can't wait for you guys. We're going to talk about different NFT use cases, huge use cases, but ticketing sales. I'm going to let you guys have the mic for that one. Um, by the way, like, I'm battling that. So I have a cough and I'm a little under the weather. I'm happy to have knowledgeable panelists here that kind of take the, take the wheel when I'm <clears throat> trying to clear my throat. So let's... Let's go ahead and get started. I'm hoping that Kyle and Andrew join pretty soon. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome, Whale Coin Talk community. Welcome, beloved panelists. There's Andrew. Let me grab him. Um, I, I did something today, the future of NFTs, and there's a number of NFT use cases, whether it's real estate, gaming, luxury goods, supply chain, you know, ticket sales. We have the, the rolling loud squad here to, to take that wheel. Um, Andrew, got you, man. Anthony, I got you. And uh, a lot of you guys are experts on this subject. I, I wanted to, I wanted to first start off with. You know, we've talked extensively about crypto gaming, Web three gaming in the past, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But the it is it is one, I guess one use case that is currently being implemented that I think is going to evolve uh, tremendously over time and eventually see and some people might disagree with me but you're going to see at least a hybrid of web come to life where people that are good first and foremost i always make this argument the game has to be very good and people have to want to play it because they're interested in um in participating in the ecosystem but the asset ownership aspect of it <laughs> excuse me the asset ownership aspect of it is icing on the cake the utility token um Let's say the utility token, I, again, World of Warcraft is my favorite analogy to use gold for, for this example. Something that is being used frequently in the ecosystem, and there are a number of brain mechanisms within that ecosystem, utilities for it. But these things can be farmed by people that are simply looking to sell them to those with not as much time to play the game, but want to participate on a high level. And the assets that are earned in crypto games can be exchange on again a prepared to, proprietary nft marketplace where a percentage is taken for the builders of the game right there's a, you're capturing value that's already there in web2 games on the black market and i think that it's a win-win for everybody but if anyone has if anyone wants to interject or has comments to steer this uh you know this debate in one direction or the other you're more than welcome to uh, but i will um i will pass the mic to uh, mr ronald and let him let him go from there. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the Web3 gaming. Um, I think it's obviously a, a complex task to take on building a game, but the proof of concepts are already there. Like you said, even just within World of Warcraft, or I even remember people selling their accounts, not that it was illegal, not that it was legal, but again, those were owned by centralized entities. But you, something else I've been exposed to recently um, is CSGO, you're able to sell your weapon skins like $4 for lots of money. Like this is occurring right now. So, so the proof is already there. Um, I think there's a little bit more pushback from that industry than we ever would have expected. 
And I think that's what will kind of lead us into ticketing as well. I think there's not nearly as strong of opinions in ticketing. So maybe it's an easier breakthrough for NFT technology to kind of make its way through. And Ronald, on, on the on the ticketing side, I mean, you guys are doing a lot and ticketing is something I wanted to focus on. I went to and I told you, you and Tadek on, on our call that I went to NFT.NYC and I found it so ironic that a, a conference that is centered around this technology wasn't utilizing it. People were making fake badges. They were getting through security. Uh, you know, the Marriott Marquis was just packed with with folks that hadn't bought tickets. And it made the experience uh, kind of crappy for those of us that did pay um, to be there. So uh, what are some things that you guys are doing on the ticketing end, especially with Rolling Loud and your your global festival? What are some things that you guys are doing and how are some ways that you see, <coughs> excuse me, NFTs revolutionizing the way that ticketing is um, handled in, in the future and in legacy industries? I'll take the first part and then let Tarek kind of talk about the revolutionizing the issues with current ticketing and verification. But to speak to NFT NYC's issues, I think one of the main issues was the scale of the event and trying to implement a new technology at that scale right away. Um, that's kind of why for us with Loud Punks, it, it creates a smaller environment and ecosystem for to test out ticketing solutions and then scale that up. Whereas with NFT NYC, it was kind of all at once out of a fire hose. So maybe they weren't ready to take on that risk. I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a new technology. There's going to be hiccups. So with the ticket prices they where they were at, maybe they were a little reluctant to roll out something that wasn't going to work. But that being said, the Web3 could community would have been appreciative of something even if it was janky and maybe had its issues um we'll see next year maybe if they pick up on that but i'll let Tarek kind of speak to where making sure your your ticket is legit and kind of the issues we have in web 2 with that right now and even within our festival i mean scammers gonna scam scammers gonna scam anytime they can so um i think token proof is a cool company in the space that is basically verifying uh, that people hold whatever NFT is required for entry to whatever the event is um, and verifying that the person has it in their wallet and then allowing them entry to the event. Uh, I think token proof is a good company and there's other competitors doing similar things. Um, you know, we're, we're super excited to be testing this technology with our with our plat with our new project loud punks um and i think eventually you know you've even seen like live nation as has dipped their foot in this at least on a pr front i, I don't see it in execution so much but uh, i think the really cool thing is like the ticket stub element you know people i, I remember when i was younger like my, my friends and i like save our ticket stubs and like put on our board in our room and you know that type of thing but i think moving forward like the collectible nature like of of the nft ticket is like oh you'll, you'll it's a lot easier to keep that and remember it and be able to be offered perks for it and i just think it's way cooler than a, than a ticket and also I, I i do believe that the authentication element is a lot stronger there's there's room to grow there for sure but the, I think it's uh, there's a lot more ways to stand up to fraud with with 
NFT authentication over just, you know, people, people hacking or, or, or selling fake tickets on StubHub. Like that's one of the biggest things we face at Rolling Loud is as far as like scammers is people will buy tickets and, or, or like we'll sell out from the show. Right. And then people will sell fake tickets on StubHub or like not even a fake ticket, but there's like no ticket at all. And they'll direct the person that bought the ticket from them on StubHub to come to our will call. And then our will call has got a long ass line of people that have been scammed out of a ticket. They show up like, Hey, I bought a ticket on StubHub. Is my ticket here? Here, Like, here's my name, whatever. And our staff is like, we don't fulfill StubHub tickets. You're shit out of luck. And then people are all upset and they're out a bunch of money. So I think this is a, a great solution for that too. Do you have, do you have um, stats on what percentage of StubHub ticket sales are fraudulent? I don't. I haven't like done that research. I just seen like the the evidence of it, at, like in real life at our shows. Like, we always promote like, yo, don't trust StubHub. Like, and I hope they don't sue me for this, but I just I just think it's like a terrible solution. There's no like, there's just no way to verify, especially with something like a festival ticket where we're mailing out wristbands. You know, it's like there's no way to make sure the person actually gives you the wristband. It's pretty sketchy. But no, I'm sorry, I don't have the percentage. Cool, thanks. Yeah, don't, don't mean to be problematic, but I'm just wondering, when it comes to ticketing, and it, I guess it really does depend on the nature of the event. Like, if it's just kind of a basketball game or whatever, you know, the QR code system seems to be working fine, and I've been researching, and there's, you know, vanishingly small evidence of fraud on stuff up for that kind of stuff. But if it's individuals looking to promote their own events, it starts to make more sense to have verifiable on-chain tickets, in my view. I think I read somewhere that it was around 12%, and I, I could be mistaken with that. But, uh, Tariq, if you don't mind, elaborate a bit more on how the utilization of NFTs is going it's, it's gonna to help not just retain your fan base, but also... A lot, I mean, you guys were doing a great job of breaking it down the other day, but it also allows people if, let's say, they're, they've had a great time going to your festivals for the course of a couple of years to then sell that NFT on the open marketplace legitimately to someone else that's interested. And if you guys have built up a reputation over several years, then the NFT that might cost, I don't know, $1,000 today would sell for $3,000 because the individual buying is saying, hey, you know, these guys have consistently brought up S tier and A tier artists every year to their shows. Like, give us some more insight into what you guys are planning with that. Sure. So I'll back it up a little bit and I will arrive at the answer to your question. But essentially, we've been looking as a company for a solution to reward and unite are are really core fans that have been um so like you know we see tweets and we even see the people at the shows um because i'll walk around the show and they'll like come up to me and we'll take pictures and talk for a second or whatever but you'll see people at the show or you'll see these tweets like oh i'm i'm going to my 10th rolling loud or i'm going to my third rolling loud this year um and that that's something that we've been trying to figure out. Like, how do we 
reward these people or how, how do we unite these people into a community? And, uh, you know, we, we played with a lot of different ideas um, and there was a lot of different web two solutions that we explored, but we believe the, the, when we, when, when NFT started popping off and we saw like this community element of it, we're like, man, community is king, right? Like that's the whole thing we're trying to, we're like, oh, we could unite this community and, and have them all come together. But it's like, okay, you could just sell a web two uh, lifetime festival pass. Cause that's essentially what our loud, pro- loud punks project is, is the lifetime festival pass. And sure you could do that in web two, but then if you want to, like, if you get your full use out of it, you've, you know, you've gone to the festival for 10 years, five years, three years, you've been to every city with us. Eventually you might not want to go anymore. And the, like, it's not that easy you know, with web two solutions to like sell that because like I said, there's the fraud element and also just like, in the web two solution would be like tied to like your name, et cetera, kind of like season tickets for sporting events and stuff. Really like the web three solution of, of this NFT project. Cause when you're done with it, boom, you can sell it. It's verified on the bro- on the blockchain. Whoever buys it from you is knows what they're getting is legit and we keep it moving. Um, and then boom, whoever buys it now they join the community. So uh, that's what we're most excited about with that. That's really cool, guys. I'm super impressed that you have looked into, you know, Web3 to kind of enhance, like, the, the ticketing system that um, you all have over there, Rolling Loud. Uh, a, a question that I have, do you guys plan um, – I know you guys have a team and you've done some planning. Any idea on when you plan on uh, implementing an NFT solution to your ticketing system? Well, we're, we're launching this project, like, now. Our mint date is forthcoming. So that we'll be implementing that as soon as as soon as that drops. Long term for like all of our tickets, like Ronald said, this is like a this is the first step that we're testing it. We'll be refining it. Eventually, I would like to see all of our tickets become NFTs. I I do think the wristband is cool. It's like a cool collectible, but having a digital counterpart to it, um, I, we just we really like that. Also, as a business owner, um, one thing that's really annoying about the resale market is you don't participate in it. So let's say we sell, and this is not just for our concert, for any concert. Let, uh, a lot of concerts, they sell out very quickly for top tier artists. Um, it, like sometimes it's in minutes. You know, you always see like p- different artists trend because their tickets sold out so fast and their biggest fans couldn't even get a ticket. And then those tickets resell for like 5X, 10X, like way higher than the face value. And the promoter or the artist, depending on the the business structure of that particular event, the promoter or the artist don't share in any of that secondary market revenue. So the cool thing about NFTs is you can incorporate a royalty. And then, yeah, if it keeps reselling and reselling and reselling and reselling, you're not getting the lion's share of it, but at least you're getting a portion of that resale mark, uh, market, which right now is fully untapped by the by the organizer or the promoter or the artist. 
Fantastic. Yeah, and it's definitely way more that that resale market is way more secure than your traditional StubHub, as you just mentioned, because it um, ultimately protects the individuals from fraudulent activity. Uh, I want to I want to go Andrew, Ronald, and Peter. You guys, really, really quickly, uh, Tark literally hit it on the head there. You know, obviously, creators are going to have the ability to have royalties in perpetuity, which is fantastic. My quick take on this, I feel like this model is is one that's going to flourish just predominantly because you're selling a experience and who doesn't love purchasing an experience or being a part of something that's obviously great is what they're doing here. I think VCon really set this up for it to be long term. I feel like everyone that's going to kind of follow suit in the way that VCon and Gary V established the VCon tickets from last year, now this year and every, every year moving forward. Obviously, as a proponent of not losing the ticket itself, which is obviously I'm a huge proponent of. There's been a few times within my you know, early age of just being 25, I've lost XYZ tickets to a football game or obviously a hockey game, whatever it may be. I think having everything on the blockchain verified is obviously a huge thing. It's a complete game changer. Couldn't agree more. Ronald? Yeah, just to speak to, to Nima. So we'll be rolling out like a token gated solution for Rolling Loud LA, which is in March. Um, I don't I don't think that's necessarily a, the solution we're implementing now isn't something we could say achieve at Miami at like an 85,000 to 100,000 person scale. But these will be like our initial test. Um, that's again, that's kind of where Loudpunks is for us. Like this is our testing ground where we can kind of push the boundaries and try new tech without having to expose 100,000 people to it. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Peter, and then I'm going to follow up with some comments, and we can... Yeah, go ahead. Thanks, Noah. Um, can, can you guys maybe explain something to me, um, just in terms of the doubts you might face going forward? Like, I don't understand necessarily the resale market. Like, for me, when I go to a, a concert or an event, the memory of that event is what sustains me. Like, I don't need to look at a ticket to, to remember it. Um, and I think having that kind of collectible diminishes the the primacy of the human brain in developing feelings and emotions. So if it is an idea that you want to kind of get that cred, like, oh, I was there or whatever, like, why should we give that to the people that have the money to pay for these things on resale? And, and if it's a question of, oh, you then get certain amounts of access or certain different benefits, why not remove the externalities and just allow people to directly purchase those benefits rather than some sort of collectible? So... Uh, the resale, let me see how the best way to answer this is. Um, I, I think what you're saying is like, if somebody were to then sell their NFT for a, like a one-time use NFT ticket for, let's just say V con or let's just say there's a Taylor Swift concert and she happens to ticket it with NFTs. I think what you're asking about is people then selling those NFTs afterwards and they have no more use right so then somebody that didn't go to the show could buy it uh, is that what you're saying i just want to make sure i'm understanding the question properly yeah that's pretty much it either they have intrinsic value as a hallmark of the experience in which case i think the human brain is sufficient and that kind of market is not going to enjoy much liquidity or the nft carries some external value where you can go back and get discount codes or whatever in which case i think attaching it to a ticket might be just kind of a little bit of a, a frictionful process. Okay, so just to clarify, for our project, our project is a lifetime festival ticket. So I, just to clarify that, so we, we like the resale because 
some you know once you're done with it you can sell it and then somebody else can enjoy it and then there's a fixed supply of them um but for i, I think i agree with what you're saying for like a one-time event i know there's solutions you could you, you could write into the smart contract maybe mixing it with the po app um you know once you actually go to the event maybe the smart contract could lock lock it and it's not transferable once the event takes place and then you know those wallets can then receive the perks that you mentioned after the event you know getting airdropped stuff or getting early access to the next concert stuff like that Um, i think that's a, a good point that you bring up though and but I do believe solutions could be written into the smart contract. Yeah, I think think that's where, sorry. No, just to say, like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Memberships make a lot more sense to me as NFTs and sort of lifetime events make a lot more sense than than one-offs. So so thanks for the clarification. But to speak to the one-offs, I mean, they're like soul-bound tokens, I think, would address that, where it's like when that is issued, it is locked to that wallet, and that person starts to kind of develop a digital identity with that wallet. And it's non-transferable. So maybe you wouldn't have that person coming in and like sniping it and receiving benefits, even if they weren't true fans. Um, again, we're so early, but I, th- I think there's going to be developments that will address all of this. But I, I agree with the criticism. Yeah, Peter, I think the, I mean, I think you nailed it. The real value comes in the, the membership, right? Rolling Loud or let's say Coachella, for example, our ecosystems, our festival ecosystems with avid, very um, avid fan base, avid fan base, excuse me, guys. And, you know, they build a reputation over time. After about a few, I believe I talked about this, after about a few years, people are going to keep wanting to go. And if they don't want to go, they can find someone else to sell it to. I think that's where the power comes to it. But I, I was also looking at NFTs and, and the potential to disrupt ticketing and for airlines, for cruise lines, for um, like sports events, is there is there any of these industries that you guys think uh, I, I don't I don't really see it disrupting? And if you do see it disrupting one of those industries, which ones do you think are going to see the first kind of shift towards utilizing NFT technology? The floor is open, by the way, Anthony. You know, I'm happy you brought that up, to be honest. Uh, I, I was really looking at the airline concept not too long ago, and I, I thought there would be a huge disruption there. But really evaluating it, um, somebody mentioned sniping earlier with concerts, and I think that really applies to a lot of these um, these types of purchases because people will have variance in pricing as scheduling dictates, right? So th- there's the opportunity for people to manipulate that market. And I mean, we, we have manipulation in those markets anyway, um, but it really becomes accentuated as everything in this space is kind of a caricature. At least right now, when I look at Web3, everything becomes so exaggerated. So I, I'm really wondering, to be honest, if this is something that would be introduced to airlines, for example, where people, you know, they, they would go ahead and purchase their, their flight tickets for a holiday, say at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, knowing that you buy that in April is significantly cheaper. You're going to have those individuals who, who hoard up on those and really abuse that market. So I, I have concerns there. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a great point that you raised. I mean, I could see it benefiting the, the loyalty and the rewards program. Like, let's say, for example, I, you know, I, I'm on Southwest and I hit X amount of miles and now I'm like a platinum member. And that membership can be represented by an NFT. And let's say I decide not to fly anymore and I can go ahead and um, sell that to somebody who would take advantage of that. That could work in the short run. But in the actual like singular, singular ticketing form, yeah, I could see somebody coming in and just taking over that market and like upping the prices, thereby catastrophically influencing it in a negative way. I never I'm thought about that. Sure 
federal regulations against resale of, of airline tickets, but I'm, I'm looking into that right now. Yeah, I always thought it was weird that like, if you don't have a refundable ticket, and you buy your plane ticket and you don't have status, like, you know, some airlines, if you have enough status, you can, you can uh, cancel your ticket and be refunded the money like into your like JetBlue calls it a travel bank. I, I have mosaic status with JetBlue. So if I, if I book a flight to LA, and last minute, even like 10 minutes before the flight, decide I don't want to go, I'm able to cancel it, get a full refund into my travel bank. But if you don't have that type of status, I always found it interesting that like, you can't sell your plane ticket. I just always thought that was weird. Ronald and then Andrew. Um, yeah, kind of what Anthony said, like we're a caricature of like traditional markets. Um, we have this like all or nothing mindset where like everything is going to become NFTs. And I think markets that currently don't have secondary aren't going to now develop secondary markets. Like th this makes sense on tickets have existing secondary art has existing secondary but i think like what peter said there's there's regulation and kyc you can't just like be flopped like flipping your tickets over this isn't what was like catch me if you can like i think there's a lot more regulation in those markets and i don't think these this nft taking that technology needs to apply to everything and i think if you do see airlines come in it'll be more on like a private blockchain in a very controlled environment for those reasons Andrew. yeah i have a really really quick concern here i don't want to be a negative nancy too much but i feel like this is kind of an open-ended question possibly even towards dan because dan is is a blockchain wizard as i like to refer him to essentially if every if every sort of i guess airline ticket user airline flight I guess, company brand was to load everything on the blockchain privately or open source, whatever it may be, at a mass scale, like a really, really mass scale. Would that not take a lot of capital to do so, to load off everything into an NFT at a mass scale on the blockchain? Uh, is that directed to me? Yeah, in terms of like scalability and stuff like that? Yeah, would I not take a lot of mass capital mm -hmm. to do that? Would it be kind of be maybe possibly even a little bit of a nuisance because it would take so much capital to do so? Um, I mean, from from the point of view of the blockchain, right? If you're if you're just minting tickets on there, depending on on the protocol you're using, then the capital cost of doing so wouldn't really be that that significant, right? It, like, if you have a protocol that is quite efficient, then your cost for minting an, an NFT can be fractions of a of a cent. Um, it really would depend on which architecture your particular airline or airlines chose to use. Um, but I think the, the, the main issue would be that, you know, how many, how many airline tickets are, are, are booked every day, right? There's, there's probably hundreds of thousands daily that are booked. So you, your biggest concern probably wouldn't be the cost. It would more be, can the protocol, the blockchain that I'm going to provide this service on, can it, can it manage that load and not become unreliable in times of peak load, right? So like, you know, Christmas season or, or that kind of stuff where you have elevated numbers of people that are, are booking tickets and uh, making reservations and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but from a capital cost, I don't, I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be inhibitive. Anthony. I kind of have a question on that for you, Dan, too, touching on that topic, because Andrew, just to kind of provide context on my end, 
um, you know, with some of the organizations we advise on, we're looking at looking to use the blockchain as kind of a storage tool to reduce costs. And I'm wondering if there's opportunity there. I mean, the long term, what's the, you know, you're no longer paying for infrastructure services from other companies, but utilizing a public blockchain. Do you think there's actually the opportunity to reduce the overhead in the long term? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think as, as, as this, the technology and the acceptance of this technology matures, um, as it, as it's, as it scales in terms of, you know, you have corporate entities wanting to store things publicly or, or maybe semi-publicly on, on the blockchain. I think that the cost to do so will, will, will reduce for each interaction, right? Because um, if you've got corporate entities coming in to perform activities on, 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 a, on a blockchain or, you know, decentralized ledgers or whatever you want to call them, then... That, that larger market is a huge incentive to, you know, your validators, your miners, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so the economy is definitely poised to be able to handle that and reduce costs over time. I think maybe it's a little bit early now um, because this space as a whole is still trying to figure out a lot of the low-level stuff around NFTs and storage and, you know, these kind of complex interactions that would have to happen in those smart contracts, Um but definitely over the next like four or five years, the, the cost to do business on a blockchain is probably going to be a lot cheaper than the cost of doing business with, say, centralized um, cloud providers such as AWS, Google, et cetera. Peter and Anthony. Yeah, uh, as far as plane tickets or just instrumentalities of life, I don't see it. I think centralized entities with government backing are perfectly content getting your name, scanning your ID, and using Web2 technology. And to say nothing of the consumers who are pretty much content also, um, they're not going to want to worry about self-custody and wallets. So I don't see NFTs as like plane tickets or anything like that until there's like massive mass adoption if that ever happens over like three to five decades. Um, I think there's, as far as ticketing goes, when you start to introduce idiosyncratic value, like tickets to a convention or music festivals where people are actually fans about you know the particular experience and therefore have a more uh, a deeper incentivized to see them as collectibles then you add that idiosyncratic value where self-custody may be appealing but for the time being like when it comes to going from point a to point b i don't see a sufficient level of problem that needs to be solved from certainly the airline's perspective and probably the consumer's perspective as well yeah there, there, there's also a lot of infrastructure that needs to happen for that to be viable from a regulatory point of view, right? You want to have digital IDs, you want to have uh, kind of KYC services that have been adopted and are acceptable to, you know, government policy and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's not just a, is the protocol cheap enough so that it, it saves costs for the airline? There's, you've got to have like your user base, as you mentioned, and they, they've got to be comfortable with, with this kind of, um, interaction of you know airline tickets or cruise tickets or whatever they're using, but then on the on the on the legal side, you you need all the infrastructure so that you know KYC, AML, all this kind of stuff is also available. So I think yeah, I agree that it's a long time, but I think eventually there'll come a convergence point where all of that is available, and then it's ultimately down to the airlines whether they choose to do it or not. Yep, I pretty much agree. I just think by that time, we'll all be rich if we're still around and, and mass adoption will have overcome everybody. So we'll be so swimming in, in Ethereum that, that we won't care how our tickets look. No, we'll have private jets, right? We won't need airlines. <laughs> exactly. The ownership of which will be on my NFT. 
I love the optimism. Uh, Ronald, go for it, man. Yeah, I com- I completely agree with Peter. I mean, no one's really complaining about airline tickets in the fashion they are now. And then kind of what Dan said, once it, it represents a lower cost and all that back end is built, maybe they'll move over to blockchain, like leveraging blockchain technology solution. But it's I don't think it'll ever be a forward facing, like, again, no one based. I'm not complaining about I maybe my airline experience, but not how my tickets being given to me. I get it's also I think gets to a deeper thing where blockchain technology I think the real like going to be through through loyalty programs that's kind of see where you see Starbucks entering with the Odyssey program and I think you'll start to see loyalty built in through merch programs and where Tarek said with your tickets loyalty to buying the next ticket I think that's where this technology is really going to shine not necessarily how we see it in its current existence of buying cheap flipping or whatever whatever we're doing now andrew yeah to piggyback off you know uh ronald here really really quickly i think the next iteration with nfts like you said within starbucks and odyssey it's not gonna be called nfts it's gonna be award program membership programs you know whatever they may call it the way that you know starbucks frame theirs i also think how reddit kind of created their own marketplace with their own nfts i feel like every other platform twitter instagram let's say Spotify, Apple, are gonna, is going to create their own iteration. Of, inevitably, it's coming. I think within maybe the next 12, 18 months being at the very most. And I feel like that's going to be a huge onboarding point when they, when every brand, you know, social media platform, whatever it may be, does that. Distribute to Reddit. Dan and then Nima. Yeah, I just want to touch on that's definitely going to come. If maybe five years or so, the, the loyal parallels in terms of like content creators, right? So, um, you know, there's like some some favorite YouTuber that you follow that's got you know a few million you, uh, followers and they they produce content. I think eventually the whole loyalty stuff will some way kind of manifest into okay, I can own this this clip of this video that my favorite YouTuber has put out there. Um, you know, maybe it's a funny section that you that you found amusing, or it's, it's an informative piece of the video, or maybe like in songs as well. Right? I can I can own this five second clip, um, and by owning that five second clip, I get some. I kind of get the rights to to that content. So, that, but the 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 artist, the YouTuber, whatever, also kind of has like royalty resale rights if I sell it. But in addition to that, I also get some perks, right? Like kind of like a Twitter super follow, I guess, right? Where I get maybe some closer interaction with. With those artists and stuff, so I, I I think that loyalty is is a tiny first step, um, and that will that will evolve into, you know, not just like corporate brands, but also individual brands like you know, large YouTubers and like uh, musicians, artists, etc. And you can own pieces of their content um, and all that kind of stuff. I, I I hope that makes sense to you guys. Yeah, so get get to Nima in a sec, but then the way I'm understanding it is it's a way for a member or rather a follower of a major influencer to not just promote that influencer's content, but also be rewarded in some way, shape or form through royalties by doing so. Am I correct in understanding? Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, if I own if I own a section of, of, of my favorite YouTuber's uh, latest latest YouTube video, right, then um, it, it's potentially also in my own incentive to to promote them further, right? Because my NFT will go up in value um, because it's of that content. If they get more popular, my NFT increases in value. So you have you have multiple overlapping incentives for um, kind of NFTs that are 
representations of content that some that an artist has produced that I now own. Nima, go for it. So I, I definitely agree with the sentiments around uh, loyalties and rewards. Uh, we do have a few um, clients such as you know brands and travel agencies who are exploring that route. Um, one of the issues I actually face today with my loyalty points across airlines is, you know, I, I tend to, um, when I when I travel, I tend to, you know, scour all the, the airlines to find the cheapest price, right? Um, so I have points across most, if not all, of the um, the airlines, and I have yet to be able to kind of re restart redeeming those points. But if there was a way for me to aggregate all my points and then use it on a certain airline, that would be super advantageous. So uh, this question is directed at Dan and everyone else. But before I move on, I, I wanted to talk a bit about music and NFTs. But before I move on, Dan, what do you think the next industry, in your opinion, what do you think the next industry that's going to be disrupted by NFTs is going to be? Uh, I think it's probably going to be DeFi, right? Um, because a lot of the infrastructure is already there. Um, and there isn't much in the sense of like, DeFi-focused NFTs right now. But when you when you start to think about it, it all becomes quite obvious. Like, um, you know, I can have an NFT to to some debt or a lending position or uh, a future that, that I hold. And maybe I need to exit that position or I want to sell the debt on. Um, and so there's a lot of benefits to traditional finance and, and kind of uh, decentralized finance that you can represent a lot of these objects that are common in finance via NFTs, right? So I think over the short term, you're probably going to start to see a, a lot of NFTs that are DeFi finance focused um, because you already have a lot of that stuff there, right? You already have a lot of DeFi infrastructure. So I think, I think with NFTs, the way I usually look at it is, is the infrastructure available right now for um, that particular niche to take advantage of the features that an NFT gives it provides right but with little friction and the the obvious next step for me seems to be DeFi. andrew uh dan if i may when you when you talk about DeFi, do you mean certain protocols are going to have their own nfts or overall like can you can you kind of maybe dive into that a little bit more for some more context yeah i'm thinking like overall right in general yeah so i mean some protocols may be better suited than others to, to provide these DeFi fun, non-fungible tokens. But um, I'm, I'm thinking about it quite broadly, right? Because if, if you have one protocol that is the first mover on these kind of you know, um, NFTs, then if that is successful, you will see other protocols very quickly move to support um, and build the infrastructure required to capitalize on it as well. Um, so I think, if there is a first mover, they will have an advantage for a short period of time, but everybody will follow suit very quickly if they're successful. Dan, I'm going to get to Anthony in a sec. Dan, are there any protocols that are DeFi protocols that are currently utilizing NFTs? Um, not that I'm aware of. Peter I, I, keeps I never... putting his hand up, so I assume Peter. Well, I, I do not come here to shill, as you know. I don't think anybody here who doesn't know me uh, knows about Everrise, but yes, we have created these nfts which actually serve as asset wrappers where the rise token sits within the nft so you can sell the nft and all of the tokens go with it meaning they can be traded as sort of like derivatives on open nft markets rather than buying and selling from liquidity 
And, you know, we're very interested in using this kind of technology to create financial instruments over the future. So, Dan, thanks for the setup. Um, and I'll shut up now. Well, if you're shilling, I'm going to throw a little shilling as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, one of the things, so, so for those of you that don't know, I'm the, I'm the founder of Radix, and I, I do not shill very often on these Twitter spaces. Um, but one of the things we've been working on um, for a number of years now is how, how, do, you, how do you focus um, your protocol on all of these moving parts of DeFi? Um, so we have a, a, a smart contract language called Scripto that is very kind of DeFi asset-oriented focused, which makes it much easier for developers to build these complicated DeFi smart contracts um, without making too many mistakes. It kind of, it kind of, there's a lot of guardrails in place for them. Um, and so we're extremely focused on these kind of DeFi instruments, right, which may be just simple tokens or, or you know, NFTs and various other um, aspects of DeFi where you can have like composable smart contracts that are very safe and they're atomic so that you don't have all this kind of spaghetti rolling back and stuff. Um, and as far as I know, like our Radix engine, as we call it, it's it's extremely comprehensive in the field of of DeFi and NFTs are a kind of core component of what we're looking at um, and, and, and supporting very, very flexible and easy creation of NFTs, not just, you know, like bored apes and stuff like that, but all the, all across the spectrum for, um, you know, the things we're discussing now, right? Like, like ticketing solutions or, or financial instruments and, and content ownership and beyond. Uh, I'm going to get to Ron, uh, excuse me, I'm going to get to Anthony in a sec, but I want to say one, you guys, if you have something to say and you have your hand raised, but you really want to talk to us, okay, I don't care to have it a little structured, but also unstructured. However, I want to just say, I want to do your own research we say this on every broadcast at whalecoin talk but uh, if i know that everyone here is building or doing their best to build something legitimate if you want to talk about the project you're building especially if you're discussing, feel free to feel free to talk about whatever it is you guys are building in the industry but andrew go for it or excuse me anthony go for it sorry guys i just wanted to bring up a point to this kind of sidetracking a little bit touching the topics um, it's important to understand too that while we're looking at infrastructure and protocols and how things are being built out, there, there's this again kind of like a caricature nature in this space where there are protocols that are building with intention and they have particular um, infrastructures in place that, that correspond with certain markets. But there's also this organic growth here, and you know those infrastructure plans are kind of in a vacuum, right? We, we also have to be cognizant of the business development teams behind these foundations, as well as those that are building upon these protocols, because there is a natural flow that's intended to happen. But there's a lot of protocols that you start to see people building there in a community growing they deviate away from those intentional plans and they kind of create their own infrastructure themselves building upon that platform guys what are your thoughts on nfts in the music industry i know that we've already seen tokenization of songs and albums and creators being able to funnel royalties directly to themselves which i think should be the case uh, and we could certainly go into some real world examples but do you think there's any there are any downsides to artists not just music artists but artists in general utilizing nfts and more or less cutting out the middlemen as of right now noah i'll say this pretty briefly then i'll hold down the mic right now yes because not many people are focused on the quote-unquote nft and there has to be a better branding scheme for it i don't think say calling the music nft nfts as we are right now, is currently the way to go. I mean, we've seen the effect that, you know, Reddit had with digital collectibles and how that went boom. 
and Ronald said earlier and how the Starbucks, you know, Odyssey program, membership program went boom. I feel like we were to call it something else, revolt relating or revolving around music. I feel like that's the way to go. Uh, I've thought about this a little bit, right? And one of the things that this, this maybe is an NFT specific as such, but it, it kind of overlaps a little with this discussion, I think. Like, you know, if you think back to like the early 80s, the 90s and stuff, when uh, kind of rap became very mainstream and, and these artists were, were, were sampling, you know, um, all these different tracks from the past and there was a lot of kind of royalty issues and legal stuff to kind of resolve um, these the, the royalty payments and stuff, right? Um, and yeah, obviously, it still happens today as well. You've got rap, you've got electronic music, et cetera, et cetera, and they're sampling um, bits and pieces of other songs. Um, I've always thought like maybe maybe NFTs or a variant of NFTs would be a more efficient way for artists to be able to sample each other's songs and kind of you know associate royalties with that um, instead of having this really kind of inefficient, slow-moving mechanism that they currently use to fulfill those royalty payments and figure out who they've got to pay for this five-second clip that's in their song and stuff. Um, you know. Maybe NFTs aren't the vehicle for that, but I definitely think that blockchain, Web3, DeFi, and all of these technologies that are currently moving forward very fast, there's, there's got to be a solution in there for that particular pain point that artists suffer all the time. Yeah, I, I think kind of like touching on that, like the complexity of royalties and I think it kind of holds back the, if we're saying like music NFTs, like for example, I, I guess we're not supposed to be showing or we are. Um, loud punks, I wouldn't consider a music <laughs> Go for it, NFT. Like it is, a, it is an event access NFT, um, which is different than what people are referencing as music NFTs. Um, when it comes to musicians, they, again, they can create deeper loyalty programs with NFTs. Maybe you could see small batch NFT releases to their core fans as a way to raise capital and remain independent. Um, but the actual like buying of songs as NFTs, I think you're going to have to see maybe a Spotify or an Apple Music be the ones who come in because they're like that centralized place where it'll be where everyone goes to for it. But these these players, Apple and Spotify, aren't looking to necessarily give away power. Like I don't know at what point they realize the powers of decentralization maybe can't be resisted or if that point ever comes. But I think you'd have to see a player like that bring them in for it to really take hold. Anthony and Andrew. I happen to agree, Mr. Rolo. I mean, looking at music NFTs and getting back to Andrew's point earlier too, the branding just isn't quite there in my opinion. I believe there's kind of like an indie um, you know, organic grassroots kind of movement there. But when we look at the mass adoption, I, I look at it very much like gaming, which is also another entertainment market. Um, you know, there's kind of a bit of a pushback there. There's entry or barriers to entry. There's a lack of understanding or education available in the space. And things are just too complex right now. I think personally for that to be successful, very much like Mr. Rollo said, so it has to be kind of on the back end and seamless. And, and users probably don't really care that they're, they're going to own NFTs. I mean, when you look at the mass adoption component of it, I mean, it's just having that tech behind it. And then, of course, you know, as time progresses and education becomes more available and these technologies become easier to access, uh, I think it'll, it'll become a norm, essentially. But in the short term, I think it really has to be seamless and kind of on the back end with a major player. Andrew? Yeah, evidently, I mean, royalties and perpetuity are, are assisting creators and brands everywhere. It's without a doubt. 
Um, do you guys foresee a future where, let's say, these centralized exchanges, whatever, maybe OpenSea, Magic Eden, whatever, maybe, do you see them, in theory, cutting off you know, royalty fees? Do you see these big creators, these large brands, establishing their own marketplace so they can forever have their own you know, royalties in perpetuity? So you're like, will will OpenSea delve into music NFTs as like the centralized entity that mints them? Well, essentially, OpenSea, as my knowledge right now, so I'm correcting if I'm wrong, OpenSea is limiting or possibly could cut off, you know, new royalty fees. Obviously, that becomes a problem for creators and brands everywhere. So do you see, you know, these brands taking their own, taking their own, you know, IP, their own brand, on, and and kind of essentially creating their own platform to not put it on OpenSea or Magic and they're eliminating creator fees when it comes to music or anything else within the space. Yeah, I think you're you're if royalties aren't going to be supported on marketplace, I think you're going to start to see collections creating their own marketplace, marketplaces with zero fees but enforcing royalties. Um that the royalties are what got everyone going and brought everyone on. I think you're going to maybe start to see EIPs that will make it enforceable on-chain, whereas right now it's kind of like we're trying to shift culture and make it like tipping in the U.S. It's expected. Um, we'll see where that all goes. But I, if it doesn't become that, I could definitely see collections creating their own marketplaces to enforce their royalties and have those the fees for the marketplace at zero. I think the equilibrium point there kind of depends on the people because OpenSea and whatever centralized entity can do whatever they want. They can limit the available collections to only those contracts that go along with their royalty system. So it then becomes incumbent upon the people to vote with their own dollars. Um, I have a dim view of people's uh, true affiliation for art. I think people value convenience and fast food more than they value creativity. And so I expect over time, we'll see a consolidation of centralized NFT marketplaces, um, which serve to benefit the very famous people, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world, but make it very, very hard for, a, you know, a starving artist to get onto an NFT platform and actually make anything meaningful out of it. Uh, on, on this subject, what are some things that you guys, I mean, uh, obviously with OpenSea, we've seen uh, as of late, but what do you, what are some things that you guys find wrong with nft marketplaces currently and what do you think some solutions are to make them more fair nima this is this is like indirectly uh, targeted to you <laughs> um some of the issues that i've been seeing today is is really building uh, innovative uh products that actually like relate to user feedback um some of the, a lot of the things I don't see today are user interviews with these uh, marketplaces, right? It tends today to be a battle against like royalties, like, okay, like who can have the most users? And with um, what OpenSea has done today, it's been, I mean, it's truly tragic, I think, at least in my opinion. What they're doing right now is they're seeing competitors, their investors right now are pressuring them to like continue to like gain those users, regain those users. And what they've done is pretty much told everybody, hey, listen, we are the biggest marketplace today. If you want to continue to take advantage of, you know, selling and or reselling um, your NFTs on our marketplace, you're going to have to use our like contracts to create this stuff, which is a real barrier, um, I, I feel like, for the entire space. Um, aggregators such as like Blur have done a great job, I think, coming out and providing a solution. But then again, it really does affect like royalties. And um, to someone's point here, I forget who mentioned this, though, but I do believe in a future where creators, artists, and brands will have their own marketplaces so they can kind of control their, control their royalties, but also control their user base as well. 
Does, does anyone think that'll change over time, right? So, like, you know, at, at the moment, quite a lot of stuff in this space is, is it's kind of touted as Web3, but in actual effect, it's kind of a Frankenstein of Web2 and Web3. Um, so I, this kind of feels like that's where this will go, right? There will be, there'll be a period of time where these platforms will be a, a kind of quasi-Web2, Web3 solution. But then as the broader populations become more comfortable with, you know, using Web3 services and decentralized services and that kind of stuff, that it might, um, you know, shift fully to like a, a Web3 and these platforms would be obsolete. Peter. Yeah, I hope so, Dan. I think that's kind of my point as well, which is uh, the question was kind of what are centralized NFT marketplaces doing wrong to hurt the space? And I think they're forced to promote the liquidity of what should be an illiquid asset. Like NFTs, their, their main innovation is that they cannot be duplicated and they represent something unique. When it comes to art, concert experiences, the title to your house, all this stuff is, is stuff that is meant to be held for a long time but centralized institutions make uh, money off of volume and activity. So they promote these kind of massive floor prices and things going up and down. And so the NFT community as currently constituted is a bunch of like trading DGENs who shout about how much all of their lives are going to be changed in six months. The way to get mass adoption is to ignore those voices and to say like, look, the real innovation here is that this belongs to you. You buy an NFT not to resell it, but because you like it, you want it, you need it, you want to own it. That is what mass adoption looks like, and it doesn't look like everybody getting rich in six months and then everybody becoming broke because at the end of the day, the centralized NFT marketplaces are just casinos that are allowed to charge rake on the poker table. So, I mean, they got they got to do them, but but mass adoption does not look like 10 different open seas all of a sudden extracting value from all of us. Yo, Peter, I love it when you go on your rants. It's big facts. I couldn't have said it better myself. Mr. Yeah, like what Dan said, we're going to have this quasi, I kind of talk about it as web 2.5. Like we're not just jumping straight there. We're going to, there's going to be some elements of centralization. And I think as we spend so much time in this space, like centralization isn't, isn't bad. Um, I, I look at web three as something that's building on existing web two. It doesn't necessarily replace it right away, maybe over time. And the parts that aren't efficient will be replaced, but this is, this is an enhancing experience. When we talk about disrupting, sometimes I think about more as enhancing, um, especially in like loyalty components. Andrew. I forgot who this was. I think Nima or someone else on stage may be able to touch upon this, but it was one marketplace. It might be, it might be X, Y, Y2, or it might even be Blur, where they're establishing some sort of, I guess, kickback system to where if you spend X, Y dollars in ETH or X, Y ETH every month or every, every whatever it is, quad, you get X, Y, Z dollars back. I feel like that's going to be huge incentivization to allow you know users, users and consumers to use that platform instead of just extracting all the liquidity, like Peter said. Yeah, and to P- to Peter's point, actually, too, like the, the space um, and these marketplaces have incentivized speculators and traders, right? They're building like it seems like they're building tools for them versus the actual collector and or the creator. And until we get to that point where we do provide, you know, benefits to the creators and the collectors, I don't see mass adoption happening anytime soon. But hopefully that will change. Guys, what about supply chain? This is something that I, I've been trying to wrap my head around. I feel like it works for luxury items, like luxury goods, being able to store information as proof of authenticity. But um, what about more, I guess, 
let's let's say counterfeit food products, for example, can NFTs be used to improve uh, improve supply chain operations, uh, storing metadata into the blockchain? Um, can kind of just like preventing manipulation, preventing data manipulation. I'm curious to know if anyone, Dan, you see your hand up, go for it, man. Yeah, I think, I think supply chain is a perfect fit for NFTs, blockchain technology, et cetera. But my, my issue with it is, is that there's this very mature, integrated, uh, global infrastructure for dealing with supply chain, right? So you, you can't change one piece of it and it all kind of work as you expect because it's kind of one of those all or nothing, right? Because everybody, you know, there's, there's probably two or three vendors that, that produce the software where that runs the global supply chain industry, right? Whether that's like food or luxury products or, you know, uh, raw materials for manufacturing, et cetera. It's, it's a huge infrastructure. And the problem I see is, is that you've got to, for, for NFTs and blockchain, et cetera, to be efficient as a supply chain alternative, you've kind of got to change it all at once. Um, you know, I'll happily stand to be corrected, but that's just kind of my concern with supply chain. It's a perfect fit, but it's probably one of the hardest to to penetrate and change. Anthony. Yeah, I'm curious, Dan, on uh, your thoughts with um, the Oracle, Oracle issue sort of presented with the, the supply chain as well, because I, I do think that it is the perfect fit, and I agree that on the technical side, you know, the scaling, um, it, it becomes quite difficult to build that infrastructure. But what about the, the moral issue or, or the kind of the ethical issue of assuring that you know, the information that's supplied at the very beginning is actually trustless as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, there's kind of two domains to that, right? So, so the information that is is recorded on chain, you can you can trust but verify, but then you have the issue of well, who put that information on chain? Right? Are they trustworthy? How can I verify them? Um, and like, oracles are extremely difficult to to build, um, and to have that level of security and trustworthiness that you need so that you can. Like, so you can trust them to be trustless, right? Which is a bit oxymoronic. Um, but even in, like, recently we see issues with oracles all the time um, on kind of, you know, just within the crypto space, let alone a global infrastructure of supply chain. So um, it's, a, I think it's an extremely complex issue. There's definitely technical challenges in terms of the oracles. Um, can can I trust the Oracle? Is the Oracle being honest about the information they're putting on there? Who is who is monitoring the Oracle to ensure that the information is actually correct? What happens if there's a mistake, right? An honest one, because this is, you know, supply chain, there's a lot of logistics. Um, people make errors because we're human, right? People are moving these things from one container to another. They get, it goes on the wrong ship. What happens then? Um, so while from a kind of pure perspective it's perfect from a actual practical perspective there's there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges with supply chain yeah very much so to piggyback off that um i worked at a previous company called big go and in 2017 2018 when the when the you know crypto boom uh, started happening i we had a bunch of people from the supply chain management industry come to us and wanted to build uh, or rebuild their supply chain on the blockchain 
And, you know, after a few trials, none of them actually ended up going with the solution, whether centralized or decentralized, because of three main reasons. It didn't really reduce cost. It didn't make it more efficient at the time, and it didn't bring in any revenue. So for them, it was like, okay, if it doesn't solve any of these problems, like, why are we actually moving forward with this? So I do see a future where we can have various components of Web3 assist with supply chain management, but today it's just not um, as efficient as it should be. Yeah, right now, the supply chain is one of those, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I think. Correct, yeah. Dan, you alluded to multiple industries having to make the shift at once. Why, or rather, even multiple companies in the same industry, let's say, having to make the shift at once. Why, why do you make that statement? Why can't, let's say, for example, um, I don't know, Chevrolet or Honda, start to implement this sort of technology and yeah get past you the mic there uh yeah i mean like i think at, at a smaller scale right so if you like like chevrolet let's take chevrolet right so so they're, they're they're a big corporate and they have a bunch of suppliers and chevrolet are have a unique position there where they can almost dictate to their smaller suppliers hey we want to use this system for our supply chain you guys have got to use it too right but at some point in that supply chain, there's going to be another large corporate like the shipping company, right? And maybe the shipping company doesn't want to spend the time, money, and effort to integrate the supply chain uh, software, technology, policies, et cetera, that Chevrolet wants to use. So um, if Chevrolet wasn't reliant in any part of their, of their supply chain on any other big corporate entities, then they could probably do it um, because... You know, the the smaller companies have a have a have a contract with Chevrolet. Uh, you know, it, it, it's probably Chevrolet is probably their biggest client, if not one of their biggest clients. So of course they're going to want to keep Chevrolet happy. Um, but when you involve all the large corporates, then they're going to have their own policies and their own things that they want to do, and they're just not going to want to do. Sorry, it. You, you can't. You, I can't close the door now. Okay, it has to be open here this time. Okay, if you want to have a room, you can go upstairs, whatever. But I can't. <laughs> right on. Um, so, the, <laughs> so I got interrupted and told to move, so I'm going to move. <laughs> no worries. Uh, give him a shout out on our on our behalf, guys. The the last part of this, and I guess the last thing that we we, we kind of I mean, supply chain covers fashion kind of, and it covers luxury goods kind of. I mean, if anyone has anything to add with respect to either of those, I know that. Now, Tiffany had their NFT launch and Gucci has done some digital sales. I know that Dolce & Gabbana is also uh, dabbling their feet in, in NFTs as well. Uh, but if anyone has anything to add with respect to those those two industries, let me know. I wanted to talk about Metaverse at the end, right? Metaverse is... Go ahead, go ahead. I, I can, I can definitely speak to the to kind of merch or luxury or whatever it may be. Um, I think you're going to start to see, in a way, the rise of like physically backed tokens. So through like RFID tags or whatever, definitely leather goods. I know there's issues with metal and watches, but I think watches are ripe for it too. So you'd have that that physically backed token. So that token would be minted from their their wallet. So like, let's just say Louis Vuitton.eth, whatever it may be. So that would verify the authenticity of that asset because you wouldn't be able to then create 
another fake RFID tag. And if it's incorporated into the bag or leather good in such a way that you damage it, removing it, again, there's always going to be people who are crafty and figure things out. But I think it would eliminate a lot of the fraud on on secondary markets. And then you'll you see IYK.app, um, two guys, Chris and Ryan, really talented, doing it with merch. Um, I know that they're trying to get it into more higher-end products, but maybe merch is where we start in in a cool way. This isn't high end, but you're able to like scan the tag and drop content to it. So this goes back to artists, maybe artists dropping a single where they drop sneak peeks or or a sneak peek to a to a music video they're releasing. And then after maybe three pieces of unique content, they're like, hey, mint the NFT attached to this and we'll make sure you're in pre-sale for the next one. So I think fashion and high-end goods are 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 ripe for, an, again, I'm going to use enhancement instead of disruption um, because I don't think it disrupts. It just makes the experience better and safer for users. Ronald, is the, uh, is the, is the product itself listed on OpenSea or is it more so just digitized on their own platform? No, um, what IYK doing is through Polygon. So it's, it's, it's on a public chain. Um, I've never gone and looked for it because the the way the mechanic works is when you scan it, it pulls it to your wallet. So if someone, I don't even know if you're able to sell it because then you could just scan it and pull it back to your wallet. So it doesn't even a thousand percent sure that the user who has the token has the item, but you can have some assurance that they're, you know, I'm not giving my Birkin bag to someone being like, here, you have the token and I'll just keep the physical. But maybe that does happen, but there's ways for for loyalty to occur and at least verification that the asset is real. Like if you were, if you had it with you, you would be able to verify. I think there's interesting things to be done with centralizing the location of the assets, a trusted centralized location for storage. They would issue a token that could be traded around on secondary, and then they would burn the token when they want the physical item issued back to them. But that would in the short term, be kind of a 2.5 solution because you'd be wanting a trusted storage solution in the middle, verifying the asset is being held there. Yeah, if you guys look at what Artifact and Nike have done, they've done a beautiful job just tying in the entire Web3 slash NFT experience to their the, the brand and the apparel. I mean, they just continue to keep their users and their communities engaged. One of the mistakes a lot of these NFT-based projects have is you know, they drop an NFT and they just wait. They wait, they make promises, and they don't deliver. What these guys have done is continue to provide an experience. And that's what needs to happen with, like, a lot of these projects. You need to continue to provide experiences, um, engage with your audience in a different way, just like traditional companies. I mean, if you look at the hip um, fashion brands today, you got, like, Nike and Adidas. They're constantly, you know, dropping new apparel. They're constantly doing... Um, new, they're, they're constantly, you know, uh, in, engaging with their audience in different ways. They're constantly doing like discounts, promotions. Like they're always out there doing stuff, collaborations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, just like traditional businesses, a lot of these Web three companies need to kind of adopt those best pra- best practices in order to survive. Yeah, the attention yeah. economy doesn't go away with Web three. Guys, metaverse. I I want to. I wanted to get the panel's opinions on this. Metaverse obviously went through a huge bull run of its own last year, especially with Facebook rebranding the meta. But it's so early and everyone seems to be trying to launch their own metaverse. I'm personally failing to see the uh, at least the short-term use cases or value in, in having digital real estate. I mean, I guess I could play devil's advocate on this, but 
I'm curious to know, and Andrea, I see your hand up. I'm curious to know where you guys see the metaverse in a year from now versus five to 10 years from now. Let's go with Andrew and then I'll pass it to Dan. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that the metaverse has been around since our phone's been around essentially since 2012 because we've been living in this in this false world on our, false world on our screen for the past 10, 15 years, whatever it may be. I think that's where initially where it started. I see right now there's nothing that's too attractive in my opinion. I mean, yeah, you have Central Land and Sandbox and whatever else you have currently. But to me, I don't know if they're actually onboarding users in the sense that people are actively playing that game. I think we've we've also had the metaverse in forms of, I think, Call of Duty, GTA, even possibly some other forms of games like Fortnite that have existed and done crazy numbers off the blockchain, not necessarily on-chain. But in terms of the on-chain metrics and Decentraland and Sandbox, I don't think the consumer retention is actually there just for the fact that it's on the blockchain. And, and most people are not incentivized to play video games because they're on the blockchain. I have many normal friends who don't exist in blockchain, do not you know, tamper with the industry at all. And they literally say, who cares that something's on the blockchain? There's better games, better iterations like Fortnite, the ones that I mentioned, that exist off it. So until that time catches up, until when these games catch up, that's possibly when we're going to maybe move the needle forward, in, in my personal opinion. And I'm, I'm, glad we're, I'm glad we're finishing out with this, excuse me, uh, with this with this subject because it ties back into what we started with, this Web3 Gaming. Andrew, I couldn't agree more, right? We've already been in, immersed in different metaverses, whether it's, again, World of Warcraft or Fortnite or whatever video game it is you play, whatever silos it is that you participate online. But I'm specifically ret- referring to uh, Web3 metaverses, utilizing Web3 technology, blockchain technology. And I'm curious, so Dan, I see your hand up. Where you guys see that being outside of Web3 gaming, where do you guys see that disrupting or, or kind of shifting paradigms that we currently uh, currently interface with today? Dan, go for it. Yeah, I don't think, I, I find it really hard to, to imagine uh, the metaverse as a, kind of disruptive long-term thing, right? Whether it's whether it's on-chain, off-chain, Web3, whatever. Um, and this has been tried many times over the years, right? Like VR has been around since forever. And it always kind of, it's one of those things where it's cool, but I don't really care about it too much. Um, and like, does anybody remember, remember Second Life, right? That was like this, this whole metaverse back in the early 2000s and you had an economy and you could have avatars and you could buy land there. Sure, it was centralized, but the concept was similar, right? Um, and maybe it was ahead of its time, but I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it had a high user attrition rate, right? Um, and I think Facebook with their metaverse like ideas and stuff, I, I just don't think anybody cares enough, um, especially from a VR point of view, because it's it's effort, right? I want to go in the metaverse. Okay, so I've got to get my headset. I've got to put it on. I've got to do all these things. Um, like only your hardcore um, gamers or kind of metaverse fanatics will will stay engaged. And I think it's always been that way. Um, like referring back to Second Life, right? The the people that were in there were 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 very um, uh, very engaged with second life and all the things that you could do in there but it was a very small group of people right? it was real niche i think i think metaverse in at, at least in those kind of representations of you can you know you can join this virtual world and you can buy things and you can buy land and build yourself a virtual house and stuff i think that will just stay stay very niche nima yeah i totally agree with dan i mean 
it's super tricky because you know with, with vr my, myself personally after like 20 30 minutes of having a headset on i get nauseous and dizzy so i gotta take that thing off like how long how often do i sit there and do i have the time to play video games now alluding to what andrew was mentioning earlier we we technically have been in the metaverse right my definition of the metaverse is actually um you know how long you know, one decides to stay immersed within technology. So before smartphones, humans tend to spend about like 10% of the times engaging with technology, whether that be radio, uh, television, etc. When the smartphone was invented, it came out that attention span went from 10% to 40%. What people are building towards is to take that 40% to maybe even 90%, which is actually severely dangerous for us as human beings. Um, but I but what these companies like, uh, you know, I saw something in the news that Travelzoo was creating their own metaverse, or um, there are some fashion brands that are creating their metaverse, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they want to get into the space, and I do feel like they're taking the wrong angle. But if they end up all creating their own quote unquote metaverse, whatever that means to them, then they're trying to just, you know, find a way to engage and immerse themselves with their audience in a new gamified way. So we could see, we could, because we don't know what the future holds every company having their own like little like video game studio that could be the case i don't think that's going to happen but it's very interesting to 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 watch this thing unfold andrew yeah last thing from me then i'll shut up and you guys continue the conversation essentially like i said before as nima you know said what i said essentially the iphone was the first iteration of the metaverse we've been talking on our screens living on the digital world for the past 10 years through facebook instagram msn whatever it may be I think the next the next concept of the the metaverse is going to be an actual product that hasn't been actually built yet, and the software that currently already has a solution to this. So I don't the Oculus is a very first iteration of this. I don't th- I don't see that it because it's too it's too in my opinion it's it's too big. I think it could be it's too much of a kind of a it's it's kind of a problem to where there could be possible health risks, and I don't see it be it's almost kind of a nuisance in my opinion. One because of the price. And two and two and three is that it's it's not as easy as using our quote unquote phone, which is the first iteration. I mean, essentially, it goes back to the gold rush where you had the people that are actually digging gold, and then you had the product, which which is now the software, which is dug, which is what dug the gold. I feel like we're waiting for the the whole product to be put in place, but the software, in my opinion, is already here. We're just waiting for the first refined thing to actually work, and I don't see the Oculus being that. Uh, just under your definition of a metaverse, if I'm understanding correctly, I'm actually going to say the first iteration was bulletin boards back in the 80s. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. Nima, you made it. Go ahead, Nima. No, no, I was, I was just agreeing with Dan. Like that, that could be the case, depending on what your definition of the metaverse is. I think also you need, you need like going to like some of these Dolce Gana, Gucci, whoever. Like, why the, why the fuck am I going to their metaverse? What am I doing there? Um, but where we are like rolling loud, um, providing events and we, we already have successful streaming platform with, with YouTube and Twitch and, you know, kind of looking into creating maybe our own platform and maybe it's just a space where you, where you go to enjoy a deeper concert experience digitally if you can't attend it physically. But again, that, I think the tech needs to be sleeker. It needs to be more evolved and it'll get cheaper over time. And maybe it starts to, we see more like augmented reality supersede virtual reality um because then that kind of addresses any issues of us just like being stuck in our house and 
just being with our headsets on, but maybe it's Ready Player One and we think it's dystopian, but the younger crowd thinks that's what the future is. Uh, maybe we're all too old to, to really understand and appreciate what it'll be. Ronald, has there been any, has there been any quote-unquote metaverses that have you know, further exceeded just a visual aspect? Maybe it might, it might be, you know, obviously, you know, pain or, or smell or any, any of our other senses. Have they been tested or been, you know, proof of concept established within, within a metaverse right now? Or it's just I, kind of sight thus far. I think sight and sound right now. I believe people have like, like, uh, like rigged up like shocking devices for playing like Call of Duty and such. But I mean, that is a centralized metaverse. And again, for me, metaverses are just fucking video games. Um, but I, so I guess there's a proof of concept there. Um, a pain component. I don't, I don't know what crowd's going to be into that. Uh, definitely not at a festival. But we'll see how that can do and evolves. Got an audience member with this hand up. Go, go for it, man. V chain fix supply. Oh, I appreciate you for uh, letting me up. But um, first of all, good evening, everyone. Uh, I just want to double back on to the supply and chain uh, talk. Uh, there is actually a blockchain dealing with that um, very uh, issue that we're discussing, or you guys were discussing. Um, you know, of course, with you guys' research and whatnot, you guys could uh, figure out what it does and whatnot, but um, pretty, pretty much 60 seconds show. VeChain is dealing with supply chain issues. Um, all the stuff that you guys were talking about, it's pretty much spot on on what they're trying to tackle. Um, when it comes to counterfeit, um, Louis Vuitton, uh, they're, they're in business with the Walmart of China for the supply, uh, supply chain aspect. And uh, I don't wanna say that uh, VeChain is a supply chain blockchain because it's not. It's just one aspect that VeChain does tackle, but um, it does everything a layer one would do as well. Um, faster and cheaper, eco-friendly and whatnot. But um, yeah, I just wanted to double back on that combo and uh, tell you that there's actually a blockchain that I'm <laughs> heavily uh, in love with. As you could say, dope community, good NFTs, um, smart, brilliant, intelligent people um, building. Um, for and on that ecosystem. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know about that. Thanks for the insight, man. Appreciate it. Anthony, go for it. You know, this one's not all that valuable, but you're all going to laugh at this. I was actually just reading an article last night, um, touching back on the, the concept or the, the topic of um, metaverse VR and, you know, sensory integration. And <laughs> if this article is legitimate, the founder of um, Oculus, when he was fired from Facebook, has actually built out a headset that when a user dies in the game, the user dies in real life. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite comical, but um, you know, there's some of that technical integration, I suppose. Yeah, that's okay. That's pretty nutty. I'm uh, wonder if we're gonna eventually live in a world like Westworld, where you just plug in, you have haptic feedback, and all the other good stuff that makes you or makes the virtual world indistinguishable from reality. A rabbit hole in itself. Guys, I, I want to thank everyone for being here today. I, I've been getting just destroyed by this head cold this week. I have a pretty high fever. I appreciate the panel kind of taking, grabbing the torch and, and you know, you know le helping me lead this, this conversation. You guys have some great insights. It's NFTs are something that I am, and it's something that I'm trying to learn more about, right? Uh, uh, outside of just PFPs and Board apes, crypto punks, and even kind of the crypto gaming projects we saw last year. I'm very curious about what industries are going to disrupt and where 
where we're going to see a paradigm shift. We didn't talk too much about soulbound tokens, and we didn't talk too much about how NFTs might have medical information embedded into them. So I guess as the Dan, I see you as well. I don't know what happened. You guys got you guys got kicked off the panel. Um, if you guys have any closing thoughts on either of those, either soulbound tokens um, and ways that they would help individuals get into certain circles or get loans or, or engage certain communities, certainly feel free to share those. And obviously, with respect to medical information, your data being used by third-party companies, um, and you potentially receiving royalties for them. Andrew, go ahead. No, have we have we discussed PFPs at all today, or no? Let's switch the conversation we, over. Yeah, we haven't we haven't discussed PFPs just because I, I think that we all have a general idea of what they are and the quote unquote value they provide. I mean, I think some PFPs are great, especially a PFP that gives you access to a certain community with real world util, utilities. I always use a um, example of let's say a celebrity or, or someone that everyone wants to talk to. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Oprah Winfrey for, for this example, but let's say Oprah, she's got a huge fan base and you know, most, uh, uh, mo- most moms, uh, at least from my experience, love Oprah. They would love to have a 30 minute conversation with her every month. Oprah could launch an NFT, um, NFT line. And I believe those NFTs would get, would get minted up within seconds people that want to have access to her and access to her resources and just have a one-on-one with her every month. So I'm curious to know, Andrew, like you said, we haven't discussed NF or PFPs, but what are some ways that you currently see PFPs or NFTs like board apes being utilized? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I love BAYC and what Yuga has done within the past 12 months. I think they're definitely an anomaly anomaly with within what's transpired i also think you know they haven't provided so much i might get some slack for this but it's okay they also have they haven't in my opinion haven't really provided so much value in the sense that they've, they've made their users money which is absolutely insane but i think the the real world stuff which is kind of maybe just once a year for them isn't going to make me invest hundred thousands of dollars or fifty thousands of dollars whatever it may be right now but I mean that that's teach their own, I guess. The way I was going with the PFP earlier when I asked you the question was that there's been there's been conversations within the NFT space regarding if PFPs are going to be here forever. In my personal opinion, they will be. There may be different iterations of it, but I feel like PFPs are always going to be here as long as we have our social media in the sense that the very the very basis of human of humans is human self-expression, the needs to the need to for someone to express themselves. And that's always going to be a thing. Whether we're tweeting, posting videos, establishing a different PFP, you know, whatever it may be, texting a friend, screaming outside, whatever it may be, that expression and a need for it is always going to be there. And I feel like PFPs are is what it is because of the the basic need for a human. Anthony. I agree entirely with that. I wanted to sidetrack a little bit too, because you alluded, Noah, um, just at the end of your, your last statement, to big data and monetizing um, personal information, which I, I think is absolutely brilliant and something that is going to be <laughs> rapidly growing in this space, in my humble opinion. Um, something I've, I've been conducting a lot of research on is big data. And I mean, something as simple as just following somebody's wallet, you can get a lot of insight as a marketer or as a sales agent in understanding the trends and behaviors of individuals on the, on the blockchain, particularly, you know, NFT trading. So you can see all these buying habits. You can start building 
building analytics. And, and you can do so with the comfort of knowing that that individual most likely feels anonymous. So they're conducting themselves honestly. Um, you know, they're, they're showing their true colors and their behaviors. And in addition to that, you know, privacy laws are a big concern. So there's a huge opportunity to build big data, which is you know, what the corporations love, but take it away from the hands of the big, big corporations and really decentralize it. And then of course, individuals can monetize it by selling it off to, to other corporations. So, um, you know, th there's so much opportunity there and it's really blowing my mind. Something I'm really trying to learn a lot about. Yeah, Anthony, I, I do see some sort of adoption with respect to what we're describing becoming a reality sometime in the near future. I, I don't see why um, why it shouldn't already be the case, but again, as, as Dan said, a lot of these things take time. Uh, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap things up here. Again, I want to thank everyone for being here: Todic, Dan, Peter, Andrew, Nima, Ronald, Anthony. Thank you guys so much for joining. We're gonna be doing another episode of the aquarium next week uh, i'm going to think of a topic and i'll shoot everyone out a message and if you guys want to be part of the panel you're always welcome thank you everyone whale coin talk community for joining today <clears throat> my name is noah i'm signing out with the aquarium take care everyone thanks, thanks for, having for having us, us. Thanks, guys. thanks thank everybody. you appreciate it